You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in a Thursday Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tim Leonard, Tyler Rocky here with you. We are here with you every single weekday, your only place for daily Syracuse podcasts. If you have not found us on Twitter, it's at LO underscore Syracuse is our username. A lot of fun interaction last night yeah. on the Twitter machine with everyone. Twitter was bouncing. For, for Syracuse basketball and football, there's nothing better than being on there and interacting. We love when people are commenting at us and we can get in some back and forth, good arguments, bad arguments, whatever. Healthy debate. That's what it yeah. was. It wasn't attacking <laughs> anyone. No, it was healthy debate. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so if you're if you're that type of person that likes to be on Twitter during the games, feel free to tweet at us and find us and add us to your list of other Syracuse blogs, outlets, whatever you want to call it, that are tweeting during the game because we love interacting with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Now the basketball season's getting going. I feel like a lot of people have been finding us on Twitter, and it's it's been fun to interact that way. Also, and you can we- try to move into our. I guess what, like our, our fab four of our favorite people to <laughs> yeah. interact with right now on Twitter. I don't know, maybe we have to turn this into some sort of contest and give out a prize at the end of the year if you are our favorite interactor on Twitter. Because right now, I think it's Zach Firestone. I believe that's what his name is. Uh-huh. That That's my number one right now. Wow. All right, See, I don't know I'm if you've got a number to... one. I know you, you were joking about the hierarchy in our last podcast. I'm not ready to name names because I feel like I'll leave some people out. And there are some people that are more football, some people that are more basketball. So if we were to do that, and we, we should do it, we could make it into some type of contest or something and have some fun with it. But I'd actually have to really you know sit down and try and process because you don't want to leave people out. You, you want to be uh, true, respectful true. to all parties there. but. All right, so today on the show, we are going to get into a lot of football in the back half of the show. Actually, we're just having a, a basketball segment to start out, and then it's going to be mostly football. We we went like 47 minutes in our podcast yesterday, and we still had some Joe Girard thoughts that we had to get off our chest here on Thursday. It, it was that type of game yesterday, and sort of just where we're at in the season, it's Somehow we, we didn't get everything off our chest. So we're going to start with basketball. We'll, we'll transition to football, recap the season, some grades that we'll give out, and then a couple other ancillary things in terms of what we're looking ahead to next year and little things like that. But be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. That's a, that's a long intro to say that Joe Girard, you, you, you had some thoughts on him after the game. We obviously rehashed a lot of this yesterday on our podcast if you missed that, but you said that you were digging up some more numbers and, and you wanted to bring those to the table today. So we talked about this a lot in the beginning of the season. And with Joe Girard, we thought, and I can't remember exactly what your sentiments were, but my sentiment heading into the season was Joe Girard is the best player on this team, right? I don't remember. Was that essentially? Yeah. Yeah. I would say we were both, we both had the hierarchy of it's going to go Joe, Buddy, Alan Griffin. Now, after the first four games of the season, that's been completely shuffled. And really Joe and Griff have kind of switched spots right now. It looks like Griff might be the best player on this team. It's kind of 1A, 1B with him and Buddy. Of course, we don't have the sample size with Buddy because of the the COVID contact tracing, but it got me thinking, is Joe Girard the best player on this team? And I, I don't know if if he can do that or if we should have ever even built him up to be that best player. On it's this certainly team. not looking like it. Yeah, it's, I think we were off there. And we, we had him to lead the team in scoring, and that was a lot because... 
We talked about this a lot, but when Elijah was out last year, he was the guy that stepped up. I think this has showed us that once defenses can key in on him a little bit more, he doesn't do well with a lot of pressure in your face, and Rutgers was a nightmare scenario for him because they have such good perimeter defenders. He can't get by guys, and in order to be a consistent scorer... If you're going to be the best player, you have to do that. Yeah, like he has not rounded out his game as much as I would have hoped, obviously. And then the part that we thought was going to be a constant in his game, and actually we thought his shot was going to improve because you looked at his numbers last year, 33% from downtown, 32%, whatever it was, somewhere around there. You were like, okay, we know he can be better than that. That's what I was thinking. I thought second year it would go up, a little more confidence under his belt. It's been the total reverse, so... Exactly. So I did a little digging into some of the numbers here, all right? And I I looked at the the quote-unquote best players on Syracuse pretty much the last five years here, all right? You ready for it? So I look at their five highest scoring games. Because again, if you're going to be a star on a team, when you're at your best, you're winning basketball games, right? That's what you're doing. So I looked at it. So Elijah Hughes, in his five... Highest scoring performances, the Orange was 4-1. and one. Okay. Tyus Battle, in his five highest scoring performances, the Orange was 4-1. and one. And that one loss, if you recall, Florida remember State, what, what right? game that was? Florida State, yeah. double overtime, you're playing walk-ons because there was foul trouble at the end. So, not going to penalize you. It's almost like in hockey, all right? We're going to give him actually a 4-0-1. You're getting two points for each win, and you get a one point for an overtime loss there. I'm going to give him (laughs) that because the circumstances were so extreme. So, 4-0-1 for Tyus Battle. Andrew White III, 5-0. 5-0 in his five highest scoring performances. Yeah, shout out to Andrew White. So, you want to guess what Joe Girard's record is in his five <laughs> highest scoring performances? What is the Orange's record in Girard's five highest scoring performances? Well, NC State, they lost. I think that's the game that he had a career high. I mean, he's probably mm-hmm. like two and three or something like that, would be my guess. He is one and four. Yeah. One and four in his five highest. And if you want to extend it a little bit more, he is one and six in his seven highest. And wow. I, I should have put this little disclaimer on it. These are against power conference teams. I'm getting rid of the the Riders, the, the Toledos, all, Seattles. I'm getting rid of those. I'm doing this against power conference teams. So those are the records of those guys that are winning games. And then these are the this is what Gerard's doing. In his five highest scoring performances, the Orange is one and four. And if you want to extend it to seven... They're one and six. So I thought a lot this morning about big picture. Like what what is Gerard at the end of the year? And trying to that's obviously a very challenging question to deal with right now because a lot hinges on where does Bayheim treat how does Bayheim treat him going forward in terms of minutes? Will he continue to start? Like Boston College. It wouldn't shock me if he's on the bench and Buddy's starting that game. I don't know if I would bet on that. I mean, we'll probably even put that as a prop shop, I would guess. I like it. That's a great prop shop bet. Keep that in the the think bank for for Friday. Right. Yeah, so I thought a lot about that. And I I know you kind of compared him to Trevor Cooney a little bit. And I saw that was floating around around on Twitter, how he's just going to be an inconsistent shooter. And maybe that's where he sort of slides in the rest of his career. The thing about Cooney is he was good defensively. He was great defensively. Yeah, Yeah, that's where he's a little different. Mm -hmm. Right. Offensively, though, I think it does make sense. And honestly, like, Gerard is still going to prove us all wrong some games. There's going to be games. No doubt. uh, Like, BC. That's something that we have to make clear here, all right? 
The kid is not worthless, and anyone who says that is an idiot. Like, yeah, he doesn't. And it's a little suck, disappointing how right? quickly people have jumped off him and been like, "Bench him. He should be playing for Colgate." Yada yada yada. Like, let's not. Yeah, that stuff's stupid. He's in a. He folk. doesn't suck. All right. He he's just. I think he's maybe a little overwhelmed right now. A lot of this is between the ears. Now, I don't think he's as good as we've built him up to be. All right. Yes, maybe that's fair. Those expectations that have been set for him are a little unfair, but he doesn't suck. Let's just get that out of the way. I don't think that we should be going there with him. Like, I'm buying his stock right now, if I had to pick one, because it's just so incredibly low. It <laughs> can't get um, lower. Yeah. Right. And I thought about it, like, I said this on the last podcast, you think that the shooting has to get better. It just has to, because he's getting some good looks still. And, and he's just... going to get better looks once Buddy comes back, too. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Boston College, I would not be that shocked if he scored 20. I really, I really think there's going to be games where he takes over. He still is a microwave-type scorer for them, gets hot, makes a couple early shots, and gets that confidence back. Now, the good part about yesterday is I think we sort of realized that in the second half, Gerard sort of figured out that he doesn't need to shoot that much and that Kadari is there, and then they switched to Kadari as the point guard, him off-ball, and the offense started flowing a lot better. He just has to be better at when he's having bad games. Don't let it translate to the defensive end, like Beheim said. And also, don't keep chucking shots, because there was a little bit too much of that in the game uh, yesterday, or two days ago, I should say, against Rutgers. I thought Anthony DeBundo summed it up really well in his column for the Daily Orange. One of our guys, Anthony DeBundo, and he said it this way. The Orange didn't do anything to help the resume. The committee's not going to look back on this game and be like, oh, well, they had a lead seven minutes left in the, the second half. They're not going to look at that. They're going to see a loss to Rutgers, number 21 team in the country. But it feels like this. It feels like there was a lot of positive momentum heading out of that game, even though it felt like a game you could have had and should have had maybe to, to that stretch. But it's one of those things you take one step backwards, but three steps forward. You lost this one game, but I feel so much better about this team. I learned a lot about this team in yeah. that game from, from the other night. I feel like, sure, they lost the one game, but maybe what we learned from that one loss, maybe we're marking, we're taking our pocket schedules out and erasing a couple L's in the the ACC play and changing them to W's. I think the one loss you're suffering here may turn out to end up being three wins down the road in conference play, which ultimately is probably more important. Yeah. All right, final thing I'll say before we get into football, and if you have any more final thoughts, just chime in. But I just want to bring this to people's attention. I, I looked at the offensive rating numbers from Ken Palm this morning. And for those that don't really know, we had a couple people tweeted us. Offensive rating, it's kind of a wonky statistic, but it measures like efficiency and everything. And it's just a way of quantifying like how good the player was offensively in the game. And the average score, according to Ken Palm on his website, is 100. That's about an average performance. So Quincy was 146 in this game, which is obviously great. Phenomenal. Yeah, mm -hmm. like one of the and he had a 189 or 185, I think it was, in that game where he scored 23 points against Niagara. So for so those here, let me I can spin a little context into this. For anyone out there who's a big baseball fan, big baseball analytics person, think of it from this lens, okay? Think of OPS plus. ERA plus that it that's essentially what this is yeah. for overall efficiency where 100 is average anything above that is good anything below that it's kind of almost percentile like 
Yeah, exactly. So no one else hit 100 in the game. They only measured five guys because those are the only five guys that were in double-digit minutes or more for Syracuse. So second place, Marek, 98 rating, just below that average of 100. Kadari, 93. Alan Griffin, 83, and that's largely probably because of the turnovers like we talked about. And then it was a 60 for Gerard. So you got bad offensive games from a lot of your key contributors. I mean, Gerard and Griffin, we thought were the two biggest candidates to lead the team in scoring. Griffin put up the stats. But the thing that I wanted to really bring up here, the number percentage of possession is also measured on Ken Palm. How often do you touch the ball in the offense for Syracuse? 35% of possessions, or 35%, I guess, is what you would call it, Alan Griffin got. That is a really high number. I would say an average number is like 20% from a starter on Ken Palm when you usually look Mm -hmm. at these things. He had 35% of the possession, and no one else hit 20. And Quincy had the lowest number of the five at 13%. Gerard, for those wondering, had 16%. So that was actually good because I feel like Gerard sort of realized he had an off night in the second half. Almost removed himself from the offense. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he was a non-factor, really, except for a couple of terrible shots where he made himself too much of a factor. But that's unacceptable that Quincy only touched the ball 13% of the time because he was hands down the only guy that was having a, an above-average game offensively. That The way I would frame that is Quincy's number obviously has to be way higher. Alan Griffin's number has to be a little bit lower. Yeah. But if there's anyone that's going to use 35% of the offensive possessions, I'd probably rather it be Alan Griffin than anyone else on this offense right now. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, guys, these days it seems like life forces us to be on all the time, but every now and then it's important to stop and reset. That's when you reach for my favorite beer, Coors Light. It is great for watching sporting events. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Nothing like having a Coors Light by your side when you're laid out on the couch after a long work week. It's Saturday. You got football games on. You got now college basketball on. Whatever's on the TV, it's nice to have Coors Light by your side. Crack it open. It's cold. It's refreshing, just like the Colorado Rockies, and perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that is get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's get into our football grades now and our season recap. We've been kind of putting this off, and I know we have a lot of football fans, so... Thanks for kind of being patient with us. We we love talking football, too. It's just when the schedule gets like this, we, we got to get basketball a lot of time because of the how it's everything was lined up this week. But what we're going to do here is, and we'll probably have more football recap pods in the future when we have kind of off days going forward because we have you every single weekday here. But I think there's a pretty open block next week, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into some football talk because I want to talk some Dino. I want to talk about the future of this team. We're going to have signing day next week, too, I believe. Yeah, that's I, right. I've got my calendar, my internal calendar, right? Or maybe it's two weeks from now. I, I'm all over the place right and now. And we'll have but some anyway. more. Yeah, we'll have some more clarity on the seniors, who's returning, who's not. We found out Aaron Service is coming back uh, today. Josh Black, and, which reminds yep. me, reminds me, Goody, my friend, you're great. Yeah, you do big. awesome work. But unfortunately... We have to take a point away from you from the scoop standings. Uh, honestly, we might need to dock him a point. We might need to give him a, a minus. Uh, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Way. We're taking, we're taking, oh, you're okay. saying take his point away and then one more. So it's like a minus two. Yeah, because he whiffed. Oh. I mean, uh, 
I love the guy. I think and, you might be right. Yeah. I think you might be right. We love the guy, but yeah. He uh, was off. You know what? I'm yeah. going to do it. You're, when your scoops are wrong, you get a penalty too. Okay. So that that's that's unfortunate, but I think he can make up for it. I, I have confidence in him. Oh, yeah. A lot, lot of hoops <laughs> left. A lot of yeah. hoops left. But good, good that Josh Black is coming back for sure. So let's do our offensive grades. We'll do offense, defense, special teams, and then we'll just highlight some of the key performers from that and whatever else comes to mind here. But let's start with the... Uh, the offense, which I think will be quite the conversation here. Oh boy, it's it's an F, like for the grade for the yes. season. Oh yeah, and if you can go to F minus on the scale, it's an F minus, and that's just me being brutally honest. It, it's unfortunate because I don't think that's backs, even brutal honesty. I think it's just it's just it I is mean, what it you is. You watched it, I watched it. <laughs> like this offense was awful. It was downright yeah. awful. You look at the the whatever metric you want to use, it was bad. You want to look at pff it sucked you want to look at straight up like total offense it sucked pff they have them 123rd out of 127 teams in terms of the grade 54.7 is the final number that it landed on and two of the teams behind them played five games or fewer and then one of them was kansas so that's the company you're in right now and the red zone offense was terrible i saw this stat from david hale he said Syracuse finished its season scoring a TD on just 37.5% of its goal-to-go drives, three of eight. So that's when it's first and goal, second goal, that type of thing. The FBS average is 77.2%, and no other team is less than 50%. The only other team to play at least 10 games and have fewer goal-to-go chances was Kansas, though Tennessee also has eight, he said, and Cuse also had eight, but they've played way more games. I was going to say, the eight number alone is yeah and that that was set up by some turnovers mostly like the thing about the offense it was the big player bust offense all year they had some explosiveness they had some deep passes they had that sean tucker run for example against georgia tech and notre dame and and tucker was a a plus plus and and the running back group was an a and the skill group was probably and like a overall if you factor in tucker probably bumps him up but the wide receivers were okay Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was the quarterbacks that held this offense back, as we've talked quarterbacks, about. Quarterbacks, offensive line, you, the sum of the parts. And again, you can have the greatest running back in the world. You can have the greatest receivers in the world. It doesn't mean a lick if you've got the worst offensive line and, and the worst quarterback in your conference. And I think another thing that a lot of coaches would tell you about Syracuse is in order for the Dino Babers offense to be working well, you need a good group of personnel. It requires you the need quarterback. a high-functioning quarterback. Yes. yes, yes. It requires the quarterback to make a lot of decisions in that offense. It's And that's what we talked about with Zach Mahoney when he came on. There's a lot that goes into the quarterback position in the Dino offense, more so than other offenses. So it's tough because when the personnel gets docked, it then probably hurts Syracuse more than it might hurt another team. Like another team could probably slide into backup QB and be all right. But for Dino, it really limited the playbook. It really limited anything that they were trying to do. And that probably gets into a greater discussion of, okay, is that the best style of offense to have at a program like Syracuse right now, which is frankly struggling to bring in the talent that it once used to? And isn't Yeah, it's up not to bringing talent. in great talent at the starting quarterback. Well, I guess you could say, at least on the surface, it maybe has brought in good talent at the quarterback position because, I mean, the, the grade on Tommy DeVito was great. Eric Dungy obviously well outperformed expectations, but okay, you can bring in what you want at the starting quarterback position, but 
you still need a backup because this isn't like the NFL where there's some massive drop-off. I mean, look at Clemson, all right? Their backup quarterback, and again, I, I hate comparing Syracuse to Clemson, but I think you can do the same thing with a lot of other schools. The drop-off between Trevor Lawrence to DJ Uyunglele, sure, it's nice. massive. But you, you at the end the of the day, there. you impressive. can still... Yes, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> but you can still have a high-functioning offense with your backup in. And I think a lot of other teams can do that because... In some cases, we've even seen where the backup at some schools is better than the starter at times. Yeah, no doubt. And look at what BC did. Dennis Grossell comes into Jeff Hapley's offense. They lost the game against Virginia, but he threw for 500, or they had 560 yards of uh, total offense, I think, which is I mean, hell, look at Zach Mahoney. When when Zach Mahoney came into these games, there was no drop-off, it felt like, at times. I mean, he went out and put up over 60 points against a, a Pitt team that is a historically good defensive program. Yeah, and I think to get into the individual players, if you're doing MVP, it's Sean Tucker, and there's not no even... I mean, if there yep. were 100 media voters voting on it, then 100 would put Sean Tucker. There's not even a close second in my eyes this year. The emergence of the running back position and the comfort you felt with Sean Tucker back there was astounding. And again, did he have some some poor games? Sure. He had like one or two games where he wasn't great, but... Let me tell you, so the PFF grade on Sean Tucker was 77.4. That was the best in the offense among guys who played in nearly every single game by a pretty wide margin. Almost six points there was the difference between him and number two, which was Taj Harris, in terms of guys who played the majority of the games. And what here was the thing that was most impressive to me. So he had an 80.2 in the rush grade, but he was in on 101 pass block snaps. For a true freshman, limited offseason, what's the one thing we hear about Dino Baber's offense and why running backs aren't on the field? It's because they can't pass block. Well, he's out there for 101 pass block snaps. You know what the other three running backs had combined? They had 114. And keep in mind that Sean Tucker missed two games as well. So Sean Tucker, they trusted him in pass blocking situations. And, I mean, the way that he soared up the depth chart to get to where he was super impressive to me and for that alone the the leaps and bounds that he made there's no other way you can give this to anyone else yeah and his twitter game was 100 on pff they graded him 100 (laughs) (laughs) no i think he broke the scale he may have gotten like a 112 yeah he he was the mvp in that category as well as far as some guys on pff that really disappointed offense can i get to a couple honorable mentions real quick yeah i mean with the offense cooper lutz i I don't really have many others like chris elmore was actually better than expected but who who well can i say that i had chris elmore and you know what i almost thought about putting him number one but i couldn't do it and here's here's why i thought about it we heard dino talk about this about how without chris elmore moving to offensive line, this team might not play a single game this season. So for that, and that's something you can't measure on PFF, right? And PFF also doesn't give a rip that this guy's a fullback going and being an undersized man on the offensive line and somehow is one of their best offensive linemen while doing that. So that's why I thought, and Chris Elmore finished as the second best pass blocker per PFF on the Syracuse offensive line, only behind Matthew Bergeron. So for that alone, I think he deserves a ton, ton, ton of credit. And then for all of his antics, I still thought Taj Harris was pretty good this year. You got to remember this too, okay? He put up the numbers he did, and I don't have them right in front of me right now. I can pull them up in a second. Top but five in the ACC in a to, lot of categories, though. To miss a game, 
and still put up the the numbers that he had 58 receptions for 733 yards and five touchdowns averaging 73 yards per game with the quarterback play that he had listen a lot of those you got to remember i felt like were yards after the catch i don't have his yards after the catch numbers but i'd imagine it's pretty damn high so for that alone i think you have to give him a lot of credit and the underperformers, it's kind of being a, a dead drum at this point. Aaron Service, I'm just going to assume that he was unhealthy this year. He was injured. because There's I know no he's, other way to, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> There's and no he, other way he was that bad. He graded really bad, 47.4. Now, he's going against probably the best guy on the other team's defense, and they faced some good edge rushers this year between uh, they Duke, Pittsburgh. I mean, I know. Carlos like, Basham from, from Wake yeah, Forest. Right. Whatever Clemson, of course, him. they they churn him out every year. So Service yeah. had the fourth lowest PFF grade on the offense, the entire offense. And here here are the numbers that are really alarming. He allowed seven sacks this year, five quarterback hurries, uh, or five quarterback hits rather, twelve hurries and twenty four pressures. All of those led the team. Yeah, he was bad, but I think he was hurt, and I'm happy that he's coming back still because I. You got to hope he's healthy. Right. If he's healthy, I, I know he's capable of more. And he was Dino's first commit. Like, there's some history there. He's, he's played as a starter more than anyone else on this team. So a guy like that, some of the stuff that he brings off the field as well is, like, invaluable. And I'm not going to knock him too much because I, I just think he was simply hurt this year. Some other guys that – I thought Quilly was pretty good this year, but the rest of the receivers – they don't grade Nikeem that well. underwhelmed. I really thought the Nikeem to Tommy and Tommy DeVito connection would have been something that's really strong in a year like this one. I really yeah. thought it would be. He hit some big plays, kind of a sort of microcosm of the entire season. He hit some big plays, but he didn't do a ton consistently all year. And, and I, I thought he looked better. He looked healthier this year, but I still would have expected a little bit more. And one more guy I'd like to put in an honorable mention in, in the bad category and... I mean, we have to, right? Listen, he's he's the greatest story in college football right now. One of, if not the best. Yeah. Uh, it's Rex Culpepper. And it's kind of like Alex Smith right now. It's, it's a lot how I feel about Alex Smith right now. If there was a comeback player of the year award in college football, Rex Culpepper, it's Rex Culpepper's to lose. The second he steps onto the field, it's his to lose. So it's a great story. He's the comeback player of the year if there was such a, an award. But guess what? Frankly, I don't want him as my quarterback because yeah. he just is not the player that he's made out to be. And again, he has Rex Culpepper has gone through the toughest battle a human can go through. All right. Overcoming cancer is an unbelievable thing. But listen, I'm it's a great story, but great stories don't win you football games. And we saw that play out this year. All right. Defensively, I gave them an A minus, and that's largely because of the circumstances they had to deal with as well they don't particularly like smash you in the face with stats they were 90th in the country in scoring defense but factoring in everything i i just really don't think we could have expected much more from the defense this year i actually gave them an a and i just thought that the way that they were resilient tony white had this team ready to play every single game it found me thinking, I don't know how I could give this team anything but an A because the offense largely impacted how the defense played. I'm only going to grade this team for three quarters of the game because the fourth quarter of a lot of these games, A, the game was either very lost at that point, or B, they were so dead tired that it didn't even matter. 
And that's not their fault. I'm not going to penalize the defense for what the offense put out there as a product. So for that, I am giving this defense an A. All right, so top performers on Pro Football Focus. You had Iffy leading the way. He had a 78.8 grade. Makes a lot of sense, I think. And he was kind of under the radar this year just because they didn't throw at him a ton. Sort of the trill effect at the beginning of the year. Steph Thompson was second, 76.6. And then Garrett Williams, 75.3. I guess if you're picking an MVP, maybe you go Garrett Williams. I, I, I don't. That's who I gave mine to. Yeah, and I could I had make it a as case iffy. for any of those guys. Yeah, you really could. I, I had it as iffy. You could also throw Michael Jones's name. He didn't grade out very well, but you could definitely say that he was an MVP for the defense. I gave mine to Garrett Williams because there's a couple of things here that I looked at too. He was the most targeted receiver or most targeted defensive back on this team. And it felt like a lot of those came early in the year. And then the the quarterbacks started to shy away from him because they saw that he was such a big playmaker for this defense. And the one thing that I did also notice was that out of all the defensive backs, he was the best in run defense and the best in tackling. Like his tackling was a linebacker level grade. So yeah. I always look at that in, in my cornerbacks too. What are you doing one-on-one in the open field? And Garrett Williams very rarely was missing tackles. So for that, I'm going to give him my my MVP of the defense. Lee Cobb actually graded tremendously in tackling. Oh, he was 89. almost an elite level. Yeah. Yeah, 89. So I think the way it goes is 90 is elite. Anything like, I, I they don't have this officially, but I get these for the NFL every week, the updates, and it's who is in the PFF 90 group. That means 90 is elite. And for Koba to, and I'm assuming it means the same thing in college too, yeah. but Koba to be at an 89.7, I think, is that what you said? Yeah, that, highest on the team. Out, out of this world. Yeah, and Steph Thompson, I want to give him a lot of credit because he was hurt in the middle part of the year and it probably docked him a little bit. And once you could tell he was in a different gear when he was healthy, he looked tremendous. As a, as a true freshman, like we're talking about two true freshmen and Thompson and Garrett Williams, both from North Carolina, by the way. So maybe they should keep recruiting in that neck yeah. of the woods. Well, Garrett Williams is a redshirt freshman, but, oh, but right. first You're time right, actually yeah. playing, really. Yeah, and it's amazing. Our MVP was Sean Tucker on offense, a true freshman, and then Garrett Williams on defense, who's first time really playing. And they both were not, I guess they were, Garrett Williams was starter going into the year, but I mean, I think everyone gets the point that I'm saying here. They were not, like, talked about. You could have thrown Trill at that cornerback position. Like, if this was yeah. a, a more conventional, I shouldn't say more conventional, if they were playing a 4-3 or a 3-4, Garrett Williams probably isn't starting the, yeah, like when, this season. When the, we would have before, seen Trill. Before the depth chart came out, we were like, yeah, Garrett Williams, who knows, like, where he fits in. And then we saw him starting, and we were like, okay, he's had a good camp. But even before that, going back to middle of the summer, Garrett Williams and Sean Tucker were not on many Syracuse fans' minds, and they end up as the MVP this year. Which and Garrett Williams made the most impact plays on defense, I think. Just some of the pass breakups that he had. Yeah, jo Jones made a ton of impact plays. I think also Koba made a ton as well, especially later in the season. But Garrett Williams' consistency from start to finish. In the beginning of the year, I felt like he, he played off of guys a little bit more, and that allowed for some more underneath receptions, and that's maybe why... His his completion percentage against is a little bit higher, but 
I also, based on what my eyes tell me, I mean, the pick he had against Louisville is one of the most athletic plays I've seen a Syracuse football player make. The, yeah. the pick six against Trevor Lawrence, probably going to be a trivia question at some point because he's the only person who's ever done it against Trevor Lawrence. So the way that he went out, balled against the best receivers all season long and, and was fearless as a redshirt freshman, he, he was phenomenal. And for that, he gets my MVP. The lowest grades for pro football focus on defense, Cam Jonas was bringing it up the rear, 36.1. Now, he only registered in three games at the safety position, so take that for what it is. Rob Hanna, though, and this makes sense, he was 47.3, second lowest grade. He actually started the year really great grade-wise, and so did Marlo Wax. Wax ends up with a 56.8 grade, which was kind of in the back half of linebackers on the team and, and one of the lower marks defensively, but... I think that all makes sense that you got two freshmen and it goes into what Dino was saying after the game. Rob Hanna is just too skinny and he, he joked that there's some guys in that defense right now that he would work himself personally in the weight room. And that's, I, I guess, sort of a subtle flex that he's been working out, but, but also <laughs> yeah. more but importantly. I don't, I don't deny it you. either. I, yeah, I think no, he I probably agree. could. Yeah. And that's not good. But I mean, he, he looks pretty good for his age, but we don't want, you know, our ACC defense looking as skinny as it was and it was just out of necessity with injuries and stuff so I don't knock those guys too much but anyone else you wanted to shout out on the defensive side of the ball uh the shout outs I think we pretty much went over all of them the guy who I think was a little underwhelming to me I won't say he was bad this year but I just expected more Josh Black guy who's going to be coming back next year hopefully he can accomplish bigger and better things next season but he was just underwhelming to me. Two sacks, 10 pressures, zero hurries, eight quarterback hits. All of those numbers, except for the the sacks, were the lowest on the defensive line. And we expected him to be the star on the defensive line. And he just wasn't that this year. Yeah, and Cyro Richards, I think, would qualify as underwhelming from the sense that I don't really know what happened with him exactly this year. There were some injuries. There was some off-the-field stuff at the beginning of the year. But he only plays 227 total snaps. And for a guy that I thought going into the year was going to fit the 3-3-5 perfectly, get, it, get to the quarterback a lot, just kind of really thrive and take a step up in this system, he grades out pretty well on pro football focus, but you just didn't hear the announcers call his name that much this year. And I thought he was a candidate to be like an MVP on defense. And Well, given the way that... Way. Given the way that his season played out, again, he only played in 8 of the 11 games. He still had 12 quarterback pressures yeah he was good was when he was than, on the field i just yeah that was more than josh be... black more than marlo wax and and he, he still had two sacks he he was exactly what i thought he would be he was third on the team in quarterback hits i mean he was getting to the quarterback too maybe not finishing off the play but he again what i like to say about tyrell richards is he's a guy out there who plays violent and i i say that in in the best way possible that is one of the highest compliments i can g give and when i say he plays violent he doesn't play violent in a reckless way he's just always flying around the field and that's exactly what we saw out of him and the counting numbers certainly add up to that i mean he played eight games and he's still ranking near the top of a lot of these major pass rushing statistics all right, on the special teams, we'll go rapid fire here. I had a B-minus for them. I think it was a little overhyped how good they were. Nolan Cooney was awesome. You got to give him a shout-out. Is honestly a borderline MVP for this team overall. I would still give it to Tucker if I had a vote for overall. But, yeah, I mean, the rest of the special teams wasn't quite as good statistically as they have been in the past couple of years. 
I gave it a C plus again. It's because it, a lot of it is frustrating here with special teams. It's very tough to grade this because Nolan Cooney punts a ton. And what does that mean? It means your team sucks on offense. Andre Schmidt only attempted 11 field goals this year. And he missed one from the 20 to 29 range. And he missed one from the 50 plus range. So he was solid in his opportunities. He just wasn't given a lot of them. What does that mean? Your offense isn't very good. So the, I, I hate to, to penalize them a bunch for their, um, I hate to penalize them a bunch for the shortcomings of the offense, but it just, Cooney was great, but Schmidt, I, I w- it's tough to see guys miss those, those 20 to 29 yarders and the coverage at times, it felt like there was a little bit to be desired. Yeah. Steven Bailey had this stat, 74 punts this year for Nolan Cooney. Next most in the FBS was Texas State's punter, and Texas State had 57 punts, and they played one more game than Syracuse. So, I mean, that, that goes back to the offense a little bit. And, and How, how did Texas State play one more game than Syracuse? The I don't ACC know. The ACC already was playing one of the, the heaviest schedules of almost any con- I think they actually are, unless you're playing in your conference yeah. championship. I think the ACC had the most baked-in regular season games out of any conference, and, and somehow Texas State is playing more games than Syracuse. And Houston, BC, the only ACC schools to get through the entire season with every game on schedule. Yeah, there that's that something little, worth noting. Right, little thing that's before a Georgia to the Tech, discipline. but I mean everything went right on schedule. And and props to Syracuse and the whole athletic staff for that because that that's pretty impressive that they were able to. They did it the right way. Game. Listen. These players fought to get the right protocols in place in the training camps and stuff like that, and a lot was made of that in the the preseason. And guess what? They played more games than anyone else, so it worked. And shout-out to all of the Syracuse student-athletes that got those protocols in place because guess what? Not only did they get those protocols in place for Syracuse, these kids actually impacted a lot of the protocols that went into place across the country too so that's worth noting these guys were leaders in their field and there's a lot to be happy about about the young men that are in this program all right that's going to do it for the thursday episode bc basketball preview tomorrow everything you need to know about them the matchups to watch and and we'll give you our picks for the game that's coming up on saturday but thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow